Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yuma, daf Lamed Chet, page 38. We're going to start with a beautiful story here about the gates of Nicanor. Now, one of the things that's interesting here, which we'll talk about, is who exactly was Nicanor. Um, and most Mepharsim explain that he was probably an Egyptian who may be converted um, but this is definitely talking about the time period of this. So just keep that in mind as we read this. Nikanor Nasu Nisim Ladalotav. So we say that for Nikanor, there were some miracles with his doors. Tanu Ravana, now we'll explain what they are. This is a Josepta. Ma Nisim Nasu Ladalotav. What were the miracles that occurred to his doors? Amru, they said, Kishahalak Nikanor Lahabitalatot, may Alexandria show me so when Nicanor went to bring these doors, and they were these big copper doors that separated, there is some discussion what it, where they were exactly, but most people say they probably separated the woman's area of the temple to the main Azara. Um, he went to Alexandria Mitzrayim. And when he was bringing them back, a storm arose in the sea and was going to drown him. And so they took one of these doors and they threw them into the sea in order to save everybody who was on the boat. And yet the sea still did not rest from its, literally its rage. So the people on the boat wanted to throw the other door into the sea. Right? So Nicanor stands up and he holds on to it. He embraces it. Look at the word like, uh, from Korech, right? Like to make a sandwich. So he embraces this door. Amar Laham, and he says to them, um, ima. You can basically throw me into the sea with the door. Miyad right away, as soon as he says this, right? That he sort of declares how important this remaining door is, the sea um, rests from its rage. But Nikanor was very upset and sad that he lost the other door. When he got to Akko, to the port of Akko, they get there and underneath the ship, right, was the door. So in other words, the door, the, the, the second door that was made of copper and was thrown into the sea somehow also got saved. And some say that actually there was a sea creature that swallowed that door and spit it out onto the land. Now, this is the part that's interesting. If Nicanor lived in the, in the Bay Cheney time, right, we say that about this Shlomo HaMelech said something. And we know Shlomo HaMelech is associated with the first Beit HaMikdash. And so they quote here a pasuk that is in Shir HaShirim, right, which we say Shlomo HaMelech wrote. Chapter one, verse seventeen. Korot beitenu arazim, rakitenu birotim. The beams of our houses are cedars. Our doors are cypresses. Alti kray boratim. Right. Don't read it as the word boratim. Ela brit yam. Whether read it as brit yam, meaning a covenant of the sea. Leficha kola shaarim shayuba mikdash nishtanu liot shel zahav. Later on, right. All of the gates in the temple were, were changed to being gold. Except for these gates of Nikanor, which were made of copper, because of this miracle that happened. 
and there are others who say and some say it's because their copper was so uh, bright, you know, and it was such high quality, they didn't need to actually switch it to be gold. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says it was this type of klinita, a very special type of copper. And it, you know, lit or was as luminous as any type of gold. So a couple of things about this beauty. Um, one is, is I think, uh, you know, we see this devotion that Nicanor had to the Beit HaMikdash and to beautifying the Beit HaMikdash. Um, I think this piece of the timing is, uh, you know, is sort of interesting. And again, I don't think we have this much time on this podcast to go through it, but why is it that, um, you know, we see that sort of the time frame is wrong, right? We're, we're talking about something that happened in Bai Cheney, but yet we refer back to um, the, uh, in, you know, to the time of Bai Rishon. Um, but I think one thing to remember is, is Mishkan, um, there was a lot of discussion about the bronze that was actually brought by the women. And so I think there is probably some connection between that bronze, um, you know, that copper and what is the, the what is being discussed, uh, what is being um, discussed here. And that maybe here, um, you know, they're trying to say there could be something nice about Nehoshet as opposed to Zahav. Um, so I don't know that I completely understand this story. Um, and especially the jumping from, you know, second temple to first temple. Um, but it is a very beautiful Agatha. Um, It is a very beautiful Agatha. So, so I want to move on with the Mishnah. And what we're going to see in this Mishnah is that we have a tremendous amount of repetition from uh, details that we already knew from Masachat Shkalim. And as you as you pointed out in preparation, uh, it's interesting to see the I don't want to say contrast. There's no real contrast. There is a difference in detail between the Yerushalmi and the Bavli because it's the same exact, um, it's, it's, a, it's a new rendition of information that we already know. Also to be noted that this is a Mishnaic rendition as well, meaning there it appeared in the Mishnah and here it appears in the Mishnah. So the fact that something can be repeated both in Masachat Shkalim and Masachat Yuma, we know that the Gemara does this, meaning that the Talmud does this, that there are repetitions of the same information in different contexts, and perhaps we'll have uh, some insight as to why that might be. Right, so, but one thing I, but again, I just want to point out, the Shkalim is the Yerushalmi text, and this is the Bavli text. Well, yes. Well, yes, we're no longer in the Yerushalmi. Right, but, no, but, but I'm just saying, in other words, it's a parallel text, but it's not repetitive within the Bavli itself. I meant it was repetitive in the mission itself. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> right? So what happens? There's a, there's some, we've talked about this before, as I've just said, there are those who are uh, disparaged, who are put down for, because they took action that was actually not uh, to be lauded, right? They, they acted disreputably. Shell, um, that's not the right word here. Shell bait garmu, lora tulela made al lechem hapanim. You'll remember that Beit Garmu, the house of Garmu, did not want to talk, did not want to teach anybody about how the how they prepared the lechma panim, and the Beit Avtinas did not want to give the recipe for the proper ketoret, for the proper incense. And now we have additional. Uh, we're going to add some some to the list, specifically Hugras Ben Levi Hayayodea Perik Bashir Velo 
who grasped Ben Levi knew a specific parak, a chapter in the in the specifics of the music in the song, and he did not want to teach it to anybody else. Ben Kamtsar, uh, which should not be confused with Ben Kamtsa, who we encounter elsewhere, right? Um, the famous Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, this, this guy has a race at the end of his name, although it was a little bit too close for comfort for me. Ben Kamsar Loretala made a masek tav. This guy did not want to teach a special act of writing, meaning he somehow was able to write four letters in a four letter name at the same time. So he must have been holding several pens at the same time and getting to go in different directions. Um, and then the mission here says, "Al Rishonim Namar Zecher Tzadik Levracha, Val Elu Namar V'Shem Rishaim Yirkav." We have a very important verse from the Book of Mishlei, Proverbs that says, "You know, on the one hand, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, the the memory of the righteous is a blessing or should be for a blessing, and the name of the wicked shall rot." So this is a pretty strong statement. Um, uh, so it, it, just in terms of of where we go with this, I want to note that the very fact that we have, I would say, additional people on this list is already um, a different rendition of what we saw in Shkalim, meaning the context is different, the, the goal in talking about it at this time is different. And then, just quickly, I want to note that, for example, the the details of the Lechma pun in preparation the whole rendition here, again, is a little more detailed. We had asked when we were talking about it in Masach Shkalim, we said, what was their big deal secret? What did they know that other people did not know? And here, the Gemara, excuse me, here the Gemara tells us, um, again, the same thing, that they didn't want to bring, they brought in craftsmen from Alexandria. It's all the same story that we that we talked about before. Um, but here the, the Gemara goes on to say, they didn't, the people from Alexandria did not know how to remove the, the, the lech of upon him from the oven. This is all in Shkalim. And then this is the new part. So, the idea here is it says specifically that the the people from Alexandria, this actually I think was in Shkelem as well, they would light the fire outside the oven and they would bake it outside the oven. And the people from Beit Garmu would light the fire inside the oven and bake the cake, not the cake, the bread, inside the oven. And then what would happen is that the people from Alexandria, the expert bakers from Alexandria, their bread would become moldy, mitapeshet, um, over the time of the week. It wouldn't last the full week. And so then the the whatever it was that Beit Garma was doing with the fire from within the oven, their bread was not becoming moldy. And so that was considered, you know, obviously preferable. That is the craft that they wanted to happen, right? And the Gemara here goes on to talk about exactly this in terms of what kind of flour they used. Um, and then, then it moves on to the Beit Avtinas and their Ketorot. So I... I agree with you, Yardena, that the difference of the discussion in the Yerushalmi versus a difference of a discussion in the Bavli is, stands to reason. I Meaning that's always going to happen. I was surprised that we had additional, what felt to me to be additional detail here in the Bavli, because I, even though we often talk about the Bavli being more uh, revised, you know, it's edited more times, it's revised more carefully, detail that are not in the Yerushalmi, because these are the details of the Beit HaMikdash, I kind of expected, you know, incorrectly, that I would have found more detail in the in Masachet Shkalim. 
um, you know, in the Ushami, which was, you know, more details of what's going on in the Beit HaMikdash in, in the local Gemara, so to speak. Um, but it does not seem to be the case. I want to jump ahead to this to this music discussion, to these new people, right, who who are in the Mishnah here. The first is Hugras ben Levi. I'm on, I'm a bet now. Hugras ben Levi, v'chulei tanya, kishunoten kolo b'nima, machnis godolo letoch piv, u'maniach etzbao ben hanimin, aji yuachav ha'koanim nizakim b'vat rosh l'achorehem. So what happens? He didn't want to teach his music to others. Namely, there's a brighter where he would somehow project his voice in the in the tune, right? And he would put his thumb in his mouth and put his fingers on the strings of a lyre and he would sing so that he would end up kind of having, making an instrument, not just an instrument like a vocal instrument, but actually an instrument physically out of his mouth. And the claim is that the sound was so sweet that the koanim were kind of shocked and didn't know what to do with themselves. What's interesting to me is like, it sounds to me like... um. Lahavdil, of course, not to not to make light, but it sounds to me a little bit the way kids will like come up with all kinds of new ways of instruments by you know playing their teeth or whatever they do. It seems a little bit like that, but in in a way that was very successful for him. Um, and then lastly, Ben Kamsar, the this person who had this strange technique of writing that he could write several letters in different directions at the same time. Tamim Rabbanan, Ben Kamsar lo made al masek tav. He didn't want to teach it. He could write it all at once, as we said. Why wouldn't you teach us? So what happens? They say to him, like, why weren't you going to teach this? Everybody else, meaning in general, people who have these kind of unusual skills, would answer some reason as to why they didn't want to teach, right? Meaning they didn't want it to be used. We talked about this in, in Shkalim, but it's here as well, right? That they didn't want their their particular skill with the Ketoret or with the Lechem Apanim. They didn't want it to be used for Avodah for idolatry. But Ben Kamsar did not explain why he didn't want people to know. And it seems that he just was being miserly with his skill, that he didn't, you know, he wanted to be the only one who was able to do it. So this then, the Gemara here kind of gives the first and um, the, the credit of at least having, you know, their their best interests, the uh, uh, holy interest at heart in their in their miserliness, if that's a way to describe their reluctance to share their skill. Whereas Ben Kamsar, he is the one who gets the negative bit from that book, from that verse in Proverbs, where he says, you know, V'shem Rishayim Yerkav, and the wicked shall rot. Um, the name of the wicked shall rot. He seems to be in a class by himself in being stingy with sharing his skill. Right. Well, well, it seems that he didn't even have an excuse. Like the other one sort of had an excuse. He had like no excuse other than being stingy. Right. I mean, listen, in terms of, of character traits, you know, it's not, these are people who are doing the highly skilled work, labors of the Beta Mikdash. You would think they would share. You would think that they would spread the wealth and get more people involved. On the other you know, human nature being what it is. 
So uh, the rest of this Gemara here, I think it's really beautiful. Just a lot of Agadita, and it, it talks a lot about, you know, uh, different things about Rishaim, Sadiqim. Uh, I honestly could read the whole thing, um, but I'm just going to pick um, one piece here closer to the bottom of the dap uh, that I thought was very interesting. So first they start with a bunch of Agadita of Rabbi um, Elazar, and then from there they move on to a bunch of Agadita uh, because it's talking again about Sadiqim um, for Rabbi Chia um, Bar Abba. And so it says the following I'm a Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. Ain Sadiq Miftar Min Halam, Ajni Brat Sadiq Muto. So Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, introduces this idea that if a Sadiq is going to die in this world, God makes sure that there's already sort of another Sadiq to replace them. Because it says in Kohelet in chapter 1, verse 5, right? The sun rises and the sun also sets. So the idea being that before the new, the, the old Sadi can set, right? That's the old sun setting. The new sun needs to rise. And so the proof they bring is that is that before the son of Eli was extinguished, Right. What happens? The son of the son of Shmuel of Ramah came, you know, shown before. Right. That, you know, Eli basically adopts Shmuel where he's raised with with Eli in the Beit HaMikdash. Remember, that's what Hannah promises she will do after she weans him when she's blessed with this child. And so that's the idea. You already had the new Sadiq of the next generation working almost alongside with the Sadiq of the previous generation. They overlap for a short period of time. Um, so Hashem, you know, saw that there were going to be very few tzaddikim. So therefore, God made sure that there was sort of one, you know, shetalan. There would be one sort of put into each and every generation. Because it says, and here they're quoting a pasuk from Shmuel Al of chapter 2, verse 8, that for the pillars of the earth are, the, are, are, are God's, and he has set the world upon them. That the idea is that the world needs this, these tzaddikim, and each generation requires one in order for the world uh, to exist itself. And then finally, I'm a Rabbi Chia um, uh, Bar Abba, I'm a Rabbi Yochanan, Afilu Bishfil Tzaddik Echad HaOlam Mitkayim. And that even for one righteous person, that would be enough of a reason for the world to exist. And here they quote from Mishle, chapter 10, verse 25, right? That righteousness, tzedek, it's tzaddik, a righteous person is the foundation of the world. Um, and Rabbi Chia, Didei Amar Rabbi Chia himself brought another proof, Mehacha, And again, this is going back to Shmuel, um, chapter, you know, Shmuel Aleph, chapter 2, verse 9, that he will keep the feet of his pious ones. Chasidab tuva mashma. Right? And so uh, now the Gemara basically, you know, sort of wants to question this by saying, what do you mean, chasidab? You're saying it's the pious ones. And you just said before that there only needed to be one Sadiq ever in the world. So don't read it as Chasidav, like righteous, you know, plural, pious ones, plural, but rather read it as his pious one, that God would maintain the world just for one pious person. So a lot of interesting agadites here about sort of the role of the tzaddik 
in the world, right? That there sort of always needs to be in each and every generation a tzaddik, the idea that there's never a time where there isn't a tzaddik in the world. And in fact, that God sets it up almost in a way that they will overlap each other just a little bit. But also the idea that you only needed one tzaddik. Um, and that I'm a little bit puzzled by because there are many people that we refer to as tzaddikim. And so what's this insistence of the one tzaddik? The only thing that I could think of here is that we really sort of equate Shmuel, right? Like even in Tehillim, and I'm forgetting now which parak it's in, right? Where Shmuel's basically compared, mentioned, it's like Moshe and Aaron and Shmuel. And so I think in a way, this is also a little bit of commentary on Shmuel himself as a Navi and, you know, sort of how great of a tzaddik that Shmuel was. Because I am noticing that a lot of the proofs here that are given in this particular passage were all coming from Shmuel Aleph. Wow, I actually hadn't noticed that. Um, I think it's an interesting observation. I want to actually now go back and look at, I want to go look up the psukim um, because they are always teaching us something about who these personalities are, at least in the views of Chazal, which is not the same thing as, right? It's not necessarily the same thing as who is Shmuel from the book of the Navi, but it is telling us how Chazal were trying to present him. And I, this, I, you know, I, I'm interested in this always. So thank you for that, Yordina, and I will investigate. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rinkus Reviews and all major podcasts. Thank you to Revanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.